Well, we are excited for the next three Sundays of December to be celebrating uh, a series that we want to call Sent. Uh, if you've got uh, a program and a call and response with you, if you didn't grab those, they're back in the loop. You can stop by the loop for any information on the church, any questions you have or you want to request more info. I want to just highlight a couple of announcements that are coming up. I know we usually do announcements by video, but instead today you get my voice live. Um, prayer. This Wednesday, we will be celebrating prayer as a family at 1040 West Huron. We invite everyone to come out 630 in the evening. Uh, come and join us for prayer. Also, on December 19th, we've been inviting you to save the date for our Church in the City Christmas party extravaganza marvelousness. We're going to have more details coming, but that's on the 19th at 5 p.m. And it's going to be at 1040 at our loft space there. And then something that we're going to give you more information on uh, in the coming weeks, after the turn of the year, for a couple of weekends in January, many of you know Ken and Michelle Grenfell. They are a couple who used to lead a church uh, out in Leesburg, Virginia. Uh, they... They, handed, they since handed the church over to their son, Clayton. We've got an amazing relationship with them. And for those of you who have sat under Ken and Michelle's teaching, they have an amazing gift of imparting uh, the blessing of what it means to minister under the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, to bring the fullness of salvation, healing, deliverance. And they're going to come spend two weekends with us to do some very specific training uh, around such things as marriage, life in the Spirit, ministry. Ministry. So I want to encourage you, set aside uh, January 15th and 16th, and then the weekend after as well. We'll get you more info on that, but keep your eyes open. And I want to say, if you can set that time aside for some Friday, Saturday training, uh, I would really encourage you to do that. All right, so without further ado, we're going to celebrate a little differently today. I know you guys are reaching your threshold of me talking, so I'm going to stop in just a minute. Yeah, amen. There's usually a podium up here that gives me comfort that I can like have, and it's, so I'm feeling a little loose up here. We're, gonna, we're celebrating today and for the next two weeks the amazingness of Jesus being sent as God's son. So, yes, we're going to hear a sermon from Steve today, and yes, we're going to celebrate that together. But I've also asked some people in our body to bring sort of a creative element to kind of wrestle the autopilot out of our hearts of Christmas, if that makes sense. I personally go on autopilot really easily at Christmas. So let's, let's allow our hearts, I want to encourage you, if, if some of this is stretching, great. If it's not, great. But let's get out of autopilot and let's ponder the fact of our own separation from God and God's response to that in sending his son. So can I pray for us that that would be what goes forth today? Lord Jesus, by your spirit, I just ask that you would wrestle fresh revelation into our hearts, that you became man to come and be among us, that you were sent you are the son who is sent unto us. And Lord, that we will see that it is from that place that you have sent us out amongst the lost, that we would see your heart and catch your heart, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Imagine, for one moment, a desire that predates existence. Before anything else could be, someone possessed it. Who has it? Who or what could it be? How is this desire born? What does it birth? In short, everything. And here we are, 
the desired image bearers of the one true God, the only essence in all created time to be called Amago Dei, and yet we could not be further from him, and we could not have chosen our distance any more clearly than we have. We are marooned of our own doing. But imagine for one moment a desire that predates existence. And imagine that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And here we are. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, then mourns in lonely exile Until the Son of God appears, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits in thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Please stand and respond with me. We have fallen. The shadows darken and surround us. We have run away. Self-made orphans, we wander through caverns and chasms of our sin. Our spirits cry out blindly. We are born into grief. We are seized by sorrow. Lord, have mercy on your lost people. We've severed ourselves from our source. We grow toxic. Our wounds fester. Our bodies break. We search for a God we never knew. We search for our own forgotten names. Lord, have mercy on your lost people. Our sacrifices run in rivers. We take any blood that makes us clean. We hide in our sackcloth and our silver. 
Write crooked psalms, dream fractured dreams. Lord, have mercy on your lost people. How far we have wandered, how far the maid are from their maker, how dark our dying embers, how lost we have become. Lord, have mercy on your lost people. Our gazes have inverted inward, our sight gone blind with want. Blank chaos blurs our vision, discord rules every heart. Lord, have mercy on your lost people. We have sinned against God. We need the bread of life. We need the living water. We have nothing to offer but our lack. We have fallen. Divine love has come after us to hunt down our hearts, to draw us back from the shadows where we have fled. God sends his son to us in our need. His love bears down to our earth with urgency. We dare to hope in your everlasting mercy. In the bitter dark of winter, God became man. The word became flesh, light entered our darkness. He called us to repent, called us to run after him, after his own heart. Jesus, savior of the world, went to the cross and died for our sins. He rose from the dead and redeemed us from our dark and made us free once more. Our redeemer lives. Today, he brings order to our disorder. He brings harmony to our worship. He is writing what is wrong in our hearts. His advent is not over. He comes even now. Lift your eyes up to his arrival. His advent has awakened our own. Son of the living God. Fulcrum of creation. Light and life of all men. Healer of our diseases. Shepherd of our sorrows. Lamb of our Holocaust, King of all kings, Lover of the lost, we long to be overtaken. We yearn for a final surrender. Consume our hearts completely. Good morning, everyone. If you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Uh, that's where we're going to be preaching out of this morning. Before I get into the Word, I just want to say what an incredible joy it is to be part of a church that centers around the person of Jesus Christ, but gives space uh, to people uh, to reflect our various giftings. I just loved last week's celebration where we had the chance to hear from, I think, five or six different people of the things God is doing in their lives, and then this morning, just to see creative expression, um, all bringing honor and glory to Jesus. So I want to thank uh, everyone who was involved in this morning, and over the next three weeks, it's going to be an amazing three weeks. So can we just honor those uh, folk who played a role in that? Why did God send Jesus? It's a big question. It's probably in a similar category to questions like, does God exist or why does God allow evil? When we face these big questions, often it's very easy to rely on our reason and intellect in trying to find answers to these questions. But something I've been thinking about this week, what kind of God is at the end of an intellectual intellectual debate or philosophical argument? It's the God that is, fits into the finiteness of our brains. It's the God that fits into our intellect and understanding. It's a God that is a creation of our comforts and our dislikes and likes. 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God who has made himself known through the pages of Scripture, the God whom we experience by the power of the Holy Spirit, is not a God that we can neatly package or define by our own intellect or our own preferences. Who has scooped up the ocean in his two hands or measured the sky between his thumb and his little finger, Isaiah 40 asks. Who has put all the earth's dirt in one of his baskets, weighed each mountain and hill? Who could ever have told God what to do or taught him his business? What expert would he have gone to for his advice? What school would he attend to learn justice? What God do you suppose might have taught him what he knows, showed him how things work? 1 Corinthians 4, Paul writes, he says this, the kingdom of God, which when he says that, he's speaking about the, the reign and rule of God, his, his lordship, God's lordship. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. Friends, God is not a subject to be discussed or a, or a, philosophy, a philosophy to be debated. He's not a theory that we can pull apart. I think sometimes one of the biggest challenges we face in the post-Christian culture in, in which we live is that we can very easily get sidetracked to start debating the things that the Bible uh, often doesn't involve itself in. Let's take the, the biggest of the big questions that we might consider. Does God exist? And when I say, it, it, let me just say, it's not a big question according to the Bible, but certainly to us. It's very easy for us to begin to debate that, but I don't know if you've noticed this, the Bible doesn't ever argue for the existence of God in an intellectual manner or an an argumentative manner. It simply assumes that he does. Genesis chapter one, verse one, the Bible starts, in the beginning, God created. And so while the Bible doesn't ever try to prove God's existence, the Bible does show us, the Bible does tell us that it is very possible for us to know God. And the way that we know God is that we experience him. 1 Corinthians 4, I, I didn't finish off that verse. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. The kingdom of God is a life of power. The kingdom of God is a life of experiencing God through the Holy Spirit. Friends, the the great joy and privilege of knowing God is that God intervenes and intersects in our lives by us experiencing his power. In Exodus chapter six, God is speaking over his people Israel and he says this, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And then, as a consequence of of God having acted in our lives, as a consequence of God having drawn us close, he says, you will then know that I am the Lord your God. It is God who initiates. It is God who bridges the gap. It is God who takes the first step. And in drawing us close to him in relationship, we then know that he is the Lord our God. Exodus chapter eight says something very similar. I will deal differently with the land where my people live. What God is saying is I will protect my people. My hand of favor will be on my people. And then as a consequence of that, you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. Exodus 16, at twilight, God says to his people, you will eat meat in the morning and you will be filled with bread. In other words, I will provide for you. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God. 
I think you're getting the hang of this, but one more example. First Samuel 17, David speaking to Goliath. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. God will show himself to be deliverer. And then the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Friends, when God moves in power in our lives, when God, when God delivers, when God rescues, when God provides, when God protects, when God draws us close into relationship, often we think that is the main point. But can I say, that's not the primary point. The primary point is in delivering us, God reveals himself as our great, deliver, our great deliverer. In providing for us, God reveals himself to us as our great provider, and so on and so forth. And that enables us to call on him in the way that he's shown himself to be. We can pray with confidence. We can pray with boldness because God has revealed himself to us and to his people. God makes himself known through the facts of history and the power of the Holy Spirit. God makes himself known through the facts of history and the power of of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean God makes himself known through the facts of history? God, what I mean is this, God makes himself known through personal encounter. What is the Bible if it isn't a collection of personal accounts where God has involved or, 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 or intervened into, into people's lives and in doing so changes and transforms them and reveals something of his character and his nature? Luke writes in the beginning of the book of Acts, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to, to, to do and to teach. Essentially what Luke is saying is, is I wrote about the facts of Jesus acting into history. I wrote about the way that he transformed lives through allowing people to have personal encounters with the living God. And that's why testimonies are so important. We said this last week, but I want to say it again. Testimonies are important because they reveal God to us and they reveal God to one another. Not in a manner that supersedes the testimonies that are found in this script, in, 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 in God's word. God's word is God's full revelation of himself to us. But personal testimonies make this word come alive. Personal testimonies make this truth personal in our hearts. But it's not just the facts of history that change us. I studied history when I was at school, and I'm sure you know history doesn't change anybody. History doesn't transform a soul. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon the facts of history. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, the word of God, the record of what God has done is living and is active. And so with that in mind, with that as our, our brief introduction, let's return to our original, our original question, why did God send Jesus? And I want to say simply and yet profoundly, God sent Jesus because of his desire for us to encounter him. And in encountering him, we get to know him. I love Exodus chapter 3, and I hope you've had a chance to turn there, but Exodus chapter 3 describes Moses' encounter with God, how Moses had the opportunity to both encounter God and get to know him, and I think it's a beautiful picture of what we're trying to communicate this morning. So we're going to read together the first 14 verses of Exodus chapter 3. You can follow along behind me or in, in, in the Bible that you've brought with you. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. To you, two very quick things out of that text that I want to look at at, um, this morning. Firstly, God can be known, and secondly, it is God who seeks and sends. God can be known. Let's look at that one first. Look at verse two with me. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, appeared to Moses in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. What does fire need to burn? I have a degree in chemistry, so I should know the answer to this. Fire needs fuel. Fire needs something to consume, but not this fire. This fire is altogether different. This fire is self-existent. Look at verse 14 with me. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That name, I am who I am, is very difficult to translate into into English. Essentially, it means to be or he who was. Notice God God didn't say I I, I, I was or I will be, but he's saying I am who I am. Essentially, he's saying that he has no beginning and he has no end. He He is dependent on nothing and yet everything is dependent upon him. Can I just say as a little aside, that is such a wonderfully both humbling yet liberating truth. It's humbling because I and I hope you start to realize that we are not the center of the universe. And secondly, it's liberating because we realize that the whole world doesn't depend on us. God is at the center. 
God is the I am who I am. God is transcendent. He is otherworldly. He is self-existent. He has no beginning or no end. He is infinitely unlike anything else that we know of or that has or will ever exist. He continues forever unchanged because it is in his eternal nature to do just that. But friends, this is not a passage that we simply are learning about the attributes of God. But this is about God revealing himself to Moses in a personal encounter so that Moses can get to know him. I love the way that God chooses to reveal himself, not by a title. Up until this point, generally God has revealed himself to his people as the God Almighty, his title. But now, for the first time, God chooses to reveal himself in a very personal manner. I am who I am. And, and, and what, if you read the rest of Exodus 3 and the rest of the book of Exodus, what God does is he systematically begins to unpack or reveal the meaning of his name. He says to Moses, Moses, I'm going to explain what my name means, but I need you to watch. I need you to watch carefully because I'm going to move in power, both in your life and in the life of the Israelites, and I'm going to show you what my name means. And then systematically, God begins to destroy every single idol that Egypt throws at him. Egypt, the greatest nation on the planet at the time, throws everything it can at God. And God systematically breaks those idols down. And it culminates in this incredible story of the Passover. Where by the blood of the Lamb, God liberates and sets his people free. And essentially what God is saying, by saying I am who I am, he's saying, Moses, every time you hear that name. And can I say, friends, it's the name Yahweh. It is found in our Bibles, spelt Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Every time we read that name, we can substitute this, the God who redeems and saves by the blood of the Lamb. He is the God who steps in and takes a people to himself. He is the God who rescues us from bondage and brings us into a good and spacious place by the, lamb, by the blood of the Lamb, whom we know to be Jesus. God is making himself known to Moses by acting in, in power. And, and, and the fact that he, 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 he appears as fire emphasizes this particular point. Friends, you guys know this, but fire is, is not something that's intellectual. Fire is experienced. We, we feel it. We, we, we hear it. We see it. it it's, it's dangerous. Fire is very experiential. I love the salvation story of Blaise Pascal. 17th century philosopher and mathematician. He knew God in a very intellectual manner until a record was found in his journal. It's published on the internet, but a record was found in his journal where he encountered the living God in a similar way that Moses did here. In Blaise Pascal's journal, it says this, in the year 1654, Monday, 23rd November, from about half past 10 in the evening until about half past 12. And then the next line has one word, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not the God of the philosophers and scholars. Certainty, joy, assurance, peace, joy, 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 tears of joy, submission, total and sweet, total surrender to Jesus Christ. 
Paul prays in Ephesians 3 that we too would experience God in this manner. Not in an intellectual, argumentative way, but we would have an encounter through Jesus with the Holy Spirit so that we could get to know Father. He pray, the, the Father. He prays this. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know, which means to experience this love that surpasses knowledge. Friends, I pray that for myself and I pray that for you, that that we would experience the love of God that surpasses our knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Friends, God can be known. In fact, God desires for us to know him. And to that end, brings me to my second point. God seeks and he sins. God seeks and he sins. As, you, as we read this passage in Exodus 3, I, I hope you picked up the incredible tension that exists in, in, in this particular passage. On the one hand, God is seeking Moses out. Look at verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. It was, it was at God's initiative that he, that he reached out to Moses. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. Verse 4, God called to Moses from within the bush. Moses, Moses. But yet at the same time, look at verse 5. God says, don't come any closer. This is holy ground. And Moses hid his face and he was afraid. So how do we reconcile this tension? On the, on the one hand, this incredible God of, of great compassion. God says, I've, I've seen the misery of my people. I've, I've heard them crying out. I'm, I'm concerned about their suffering. And, and he's a God who wants intimacy with his, with his people. He says, I've come down to rescue them. But he says in the same breath, don't get too close because this is dangerous. Again, I think the picture of fire helps us try to understand what, what is going on here in this particular passage. You guys all know that fire is both life-giving and death-dealing all at the same time. It's beautiful, but yet it's incredibly dangerous. And I think that perfectly summarizes the dilemma that mankind is in. On the one hand, we, we can't draw close to God. We can't draw near to God in our own strength. Our, our own sinfulness in the presence of God's holiness is absolutely fatal. Moses would learn this in Exodus 33 in a few, verse, a few chapters later. Moses cries out to God, God, show me your glory. And God says, yes, I will allow my goodness to pass by you. And I will proclaim my name in your presence. But you cannot look at me in the face and live. So I have to hide you in the cleft of a rock. We cannot draw near to God because of our sinfulness, yet we cannot live without God. God created every single one of us to have relationship with him. God has placed eternity in the hearts of every single person, every single man, woman, and child. And that eternity is only fulfilled through relationship with Jesus Christ. So how does Moses get close without being consumed? Well, I think the answer is found in verse two. It's the angel of the Lord. If you read this text again, I think you would be forced to ask the question, is it the angel of the Lord that is appearing to Moses? Or is it the Lord God himself? The same apparent contradiction appears in the book of Genesis, and we don't have time to look at that, but go and read the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and and Ishmael. 
And throughout that story, we see references made to the angel of God or the angel of the Lord, and then references made to God and and the Lord speaking. Verse 2 in our text, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses. But then two verses later in verse 4, it says, when the Lord saw Moses, when God called to him. And verse 5, God said. So we have to ask the question, who is it? Is it the angel of the Lord or is it the Lord himself? To which I answer, yes. It's both. It's both. So who is this angel of the Lord? Who is distinct, yet at the same time identical to Lord, to the Lord? Who stands in the gap covering Moses' sinfulness so that he can approach the Almighty God with confidence? It, it, does this angel of the Lord start to remind you of perhaps someone that you know? Well, I want to say, friends, this is not meant to remind you of someone that you know. This is that someone. This is Jesus Christ who is standing, on the gap, is standing in the gap on behalf of Moses. Jesus is the angel of the Lord. Alec Motia, who is an Old Testament uh, theologian, says this in his commentary on Exodus 3. There is only one other in the Bible who is both identical yet distinct from God. One who, without abandoning the full essence of his deity or diminishing his divine holiness, is able to accommodate himself to the company of sinners. He is Jesus. Friends, the angel of the Lord is Jesus, who was sent by the Father to stand in the gap on behalf of Moses, so that Moses could approach the holy ground with confidence, knowing that it was Jesus who was making the way possible. Jesus, when challenged by the Jews in John chapter 8, says to the Jews, he says, before Abraham was, I am. What he's saying to the Jews is, I am the angel of the Lord who appeared in the bush to Moses. I am the angel of the Lord who called him over. And so Exodus chapter 3 is not just a story for Moses. Can I say Exodus chapter 3 is a prophetic picture of one day when Jesus will be sent by the Father. Not on behalf of one man, but on behalf of all mankind. That everyone who believes in Jesus, the Bible says... He will stand in the gap between us and the Father so that we can approach the Father with absolute boldness and with absolute confidence, knowing that we are received because it is Jesus who has made the way. Jesus died the death on the cross that we deserve. Jesus was raised from the dead. And as we put our faith in him, Jesus becomes our angel of the Lord. But can I say, not just so that we can draw close to God, but so that God can Dwell in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. God can be known. In fact, God desires for us to know him. And to that end, God seeks us and he sends Jesus out as the angel of the Lord. So how does this story end? How does this account end? Well, it ends by God sending Moses out. Look at verse 10. So now go, God says to Moses, I am sending you. And then look at verse 15. Although it's not in our passage that we read today, verse 15, God says to to Moses, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Go and tell the Israelites, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. 
When you read those names, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, I hope you cast your mind back on the, the book of Genesis. Because Abraham and Isaac and Jacob weren't exactly stellar material that the Lord was working with. But essentially what God is saying to Moses is, I transformed the coward, Abraham. I changed that, that dysfunctional father, Isaac. I turned around that deceiver, Jacob. I'm the one who who put courage into meek Moses and made him into a great leader. I'm the one who turned Peter into a rock. I'm the one who took my most fiercest opponent, Paul, and made him the greatest apostle this world has ever known. Friends, what can he do with you and me? Our sinfulness, our mistakes, our past should not be an inhibitor to God saying to us, just like he sent Jesus, he also wants to send us to the world. And when Jesus takes up residence in our heart, friends, we become like that burning bush to the world. We begin to burn with the passion and the love and the power and the holiness of Jesus so that the world looks at us and says, my goodness, that's interesting. Let me come over. And have a look. God can be known. In fact, God desires for us to know him. And to that end, God seeks us and he sends Jesus as our angel of the Lord. Perhaps you're here today visiting maybe for the first time. I don't know. Perhaps been here for a few weeks. But I would be amiss if I didn't end off by giving you an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ this morning. I trust something of all that has taken place, not just this message, but everything that we have done this morning through, through worship as, as we've exalted the name of Jesus. If you, perhaps you've sensed, you've seen something, understood something of your state, your lostness without God. Friends, we can look everywhere to find the fulfillment of what God has placed within us. He's placed eternity in our hearts. And we can try and fill that with busyness, with money, with religion. And all of that falls short of the one who only can fulfill that longing. And that is Jesus Christ. I'm not inviting you to join this church. I'm not asking you to be a part of this family. I'm simply saying today, if you are here And you are saying, Steve, I want to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It would be my privilege to pray for you right where you are seated. You might not understand everything, but there's a longing in your heart to say, I want to know Jesus. In about 30 seconds, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer right where you are seated. I'm not going to call you up front, but where you are seated, I'm going to lead you in a prayer where you pray, Jesus, would you come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. If that's you today, could you quickly lift up your hand? I'd love to be able to pray for you. Anyone want to respond to the gospel this morning, to the invitation to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior into our hearts and lives? Anyone want to respond? Let's close and pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have made it possible for us to know you. Not just made it possible, Lord, but, but it, is, it is your desire, it is your longing that we get to know you. And to that end, Lord, Jesus, Lord God, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. Born into this world, lived as one of us, died the death that we deserve to die, was raised from the dead, 
And now, Jesus, you are seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. Thank you that you are our angel of the Lord. Thank you that you make it possible for us to come boldly and confidently into the presence of the Father. And I want to pray one thing before I I go this morning, Lord. I want to pray that every single one of us here would become just like Moses became. Transformed from someone meek and afraid and timid to become a man that was powerfully used by you to change a nation. We all come, Lord, just full of weakness and insecurity and fears and failures. There's nothing that we bring to you that you are impressed with. You simply want yieldedness. You simply want us to lay our lives down. And so, Lord, this morning we do that. We lay our lives down. We say, thank you that it is not about us. Thank you that we are not the center of the universe. Thank you that, that, that the salvation of the city does not depend upon us. It depends on you, Jesus. We find rest in that, yet at the same time, we are liberated to want to do all we can. And so, Lord, would you burn within us with a fire, with a passion, with a boldness, with a courage, with a holiness, with, a, with, with, with great power, with great love, so that we can see our city transformed. Lord, would you send us, just as you sent Jesus, would you send us to go and to seek and save the lost in our city and in the nation? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.